Thank you so much for tuning on in. This is Living with Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis, a podcast made in conjunction with the amazing team at Endometriosis Australia. My name is Eliangel Mobs and I am an ambassador for this charity. And this episode is all around fertility, endometriosis, fertility in general. I learned so much by talking to this guest. He is the Professor of Reproductive Medicine at the University of Western Australia. He is the Medical Director of Fertility Specialists of WA and he's also part of the Clinical Advisor Committee for the Endo Australia team. His name is Professor Roger Hart and he is going to teach you so much in this fascinating episode. Please enjoy. On the line right now, one of our members of the Clinical Advisory Committee. Hello to Professor Roger Hart. Um, hello there. Hi. Thank Good you morning. so, so much for your time. You are uh, an extremely busy person, but you wanted to jump on this podcast. No problem. Let's talk fertility and endometriosis, because I know myself did struggle to fall pregnant. I'm sure that there is a significant number of endo warriors who are in the same scenario. Infertility in Australia as well, the stats are through. Is it like one in six couples will struggle to fall pregnant? Yes, approximately that, one in six, one in seven, that sort of rate, yeah. Wow. So how can endometriosis affect fertility? Yeah, I mean, it's a, a great question. And I, I think at many levels, firstly, I think mainly, main, main thing to say is some women will have endometriosis and are unaware of it. So I think I think that's in the background of the whole time. And, you know, any woman that sort of thinks that um, her periods are um unduly painful um, or pain at different times in the cycle, they, they should seek um, an, an opinion to see whether that is the case. But um, how, how it impacts on, on fertility, as I say, can be several, several ways. The main thing is, is, is pelvic pain. So frequently pain will be, and typical um, aspect of pain with endometriosis can be mid-cycle pain, which is obviously all aware that is mid-cycle is where the woman normally ovulates. Um, and that's the maximal time of conception. And many women go to great lengths to try to time intercourse appropriately um, to conceive. But understandably, if she's uncomfortable at that time, um, that, that is going to be a major disincentive to, um, to intercourse and therefore negatively impact on the chance of getting pregnant. So, um, so, so, so pain in the pelvis um, is, is, is certainly a problem. And that could be even worse because some women... Um, get significant pain just purely with intercourse, just um, not necessarily related to ovulation pain, but more because the ovaries are perhaps stuck in the pelvis and the process of intercourse is painful. And again, that's a major negative incentive for intercourse. And there's one thing that's consistently over the years been demonstrated to correlate with a chance of conceiving. That's the frequency of intercourse, understandably. Um, but beyond that, in a more, a more advanced stages of endometriosis, um, obviously, there's a risk then of distortion of the anatomy of the pelvis mm. um, because endometriosis, um, as we know, has got several stages and it can start off with little sort of what looks like, you know, if you've got a splatter of paint, brown paint um, against the wall, little dots um, through the pelvis. That's called superficial endometriosis. But unfortunately, as the disease progresses, there can be um, instances where it starts to go deeper and invade into the underlying structures. And consequently, with that scenario, with advanced endometriosis, it starts to distort the anatomy. So consequently, it's going to lead to perhaps fallopian tube damage, or at least the fallopian tube not able to pick an egg up, it's been released. Um, it can also lead, unfortunately, to um, invasion within the ovary. And that's a condition called an endometrioma, a 
a, a cyst within the ovary, sometimes called chocolate cyst. Mm. Um, and, um, and again, that can interfere with ovulation, cause significant discomfort and, um, and negatively impact on conception. So, um, so there's no two ways about it. Endometriosis is negatively associated with a chance of conceiving. I really don't want to get the message across is that endometriosis is associated with not being able to get pregnant. There are many women that have perhaps gone to their graves who've had endometriosis and had a full family and not been aware they had endometriosis and not yeah. had too much of a problem. So, so it's, it's, it's like a correlation um, with a degree of difficulty getting pregnant. So, um, so it's like somebody doesn't ovulate every month or a partner who's got a poorish sperm count. Of course, they can get pre- pregnant or the partner can get the, um, the man can get the partner pregnant, but it's just a reduction in the chance per month, which we call fecundity. The ability to conceive per month. So yes, endometriosis is very common, infertility is very common, and they often go hand in hand. So I think a big learning from this is that knowledge is power, Professor Hart. That's you yeah. need to be across things. And if you don't, if you know, if you've been trying for a while, go to your doctor and get that conversation going. Absolutely. I, and that goes for all couples, not when a woman's suspicious of endometriosis. Mm. Women always beat themselves up and blame themselves. If they'd say, oh, my cycle's not right or my periods are painful, it could be Fred's sperm. <laughs> you know, it just absolutely, but women always blame themselves. But it actually is just as likely that his sperm count is not so great. But you can imagine that if his sperm count is not optimal and perhaps she's got a bit of endometriosis, the two acting synergistically will significantly reduce the chance of getting pregnant per month. Um, so it's often, in a, with infertility, there's, it's often there's not one sole cause. There's often a bit of a few things, mm. a bit of being perhaps overweight or um, his sperm count not being so great, perhaps one blocked fallopian tube, perhaps a little bit of endometriosis. There's often a few things acting together which prolong the, um, the chance of getting pregnant. So absolutely, knowledge is power. I think for any couple who've been trying for a year to get pregnant, and are unable to conceive, both of you go to the GP and, and talk about it. Um, a woman of 35 or greater, she should go with her partner at th- after six months of trying. Okay. And, and also, I think it's very important with a background of endometriosis, if a woman, um, as we know, endometriosis is often a life journey um, with a sort of story starting in adolescence um, through, through the 20s and 30s with progressively deteriorating periods and perhaps some surgical intervention. If a woman has a suspicion she's got endometriosis or has been told she's got endometriosis, I would encourage her to go early to the doctor to rather than wait this, oh, I've been told to wait for a year. Don't. Um, I've been told I've got endometriosis. I know I might have a bit of difficulty. Um, I'd like you to investigate me now ahead of time. So, so particularly important is where a woman has had surgery to the ovary. And this is something perhaps we might sort of come at later in the, in the discussion is, is the consequence of having operations on the ovary. So I think the message is, and with this question is, if a woman's suspicious she's got, things aren't quite right, go to the doctor early. Don't say, oh, I've got to wait for a year. Both of you go along, because it may not be her. It could be Fred. Mm, It could be. Very much so. You never, never know. Absolutely. When I was 27, that was when I first got diagnosed with stage four endometriosis. and. My specialist at the time looked at me and said, well, you better go and have a baby. And those words have stuck with me. Uh, I'm now 36 because at the time I just started my dating, uh, I just started dating my now husband and you think, oh, it's, 
not that easy to have a baby. Like, and I've heard a lot of endo warriors as well have been told at a very young age, well, go and have a baby. That will cure it. And let's just remember, it's not that easy to go and have said baby. Yes. No, absolutely. There's a a few things there. So I, um, I, I, I know that sentiment, but I just think it's, uh, I think it's a little bit, um, it's a bit um, patronizing, a little bit scary Mm. um, as well, um, because the last thing you want to do is a woman being forced into a relationship at the time um, and making the wrong decisions. And that's not the right thing for her partner and the baby, probably consequent. Obviously, your story is different and great. And that's marvelous. But uh, but um, it's, it's you know, for a woman to sort of say, well, actually, no, um, I'm with Fred and he's, he's I didn't think he was really the, my life partner. And and so so that's not necessarily the right thing to do. If the situation is right, absolutely. And I'd say that to any woman. I mean, there's... <laughs> This, this, this is sort of talking just infertility in general. We incrementally, um, as um, a society, we're postponing the time when we want to have a family, um, and that not not just endometriosis, but that negatively impacts on a on a, her chance of conceiving. So um, a woman's, you know, forget endometriosis. A woman just saying, oh, I think I want to start a family. If she's under thirty, it's roughly about a one in twenty chance that she's going to have difficulty. If it's thirty to thirty-five, it's one in ten. So she's doubled the chance of infertility just by waiting a few years. So, so that goes for anybody. But to say to a woman, say, oh, you better have a baby now. Mm. Um, otherwise, see, it's never going to happen. Is, is the wrong message we need to be giving. I think um, perhaps may, maybe being slightly flippant there, but, but it, 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 the doctor explores it. Are you in a stable relationship? This is your life partner. Perhaps you should evaluate and say, well, perhaps it might be worth thinking about having my family now rather than later and that's a measured decision for the woman with her partner mm. to make um the reason why the doctor have said that and um, with the best intentions you had severe endometriosis which as i've said unfortunately distorts anatomy mm-hmm. um, and they distort the anatomy unfortunately then it means the fallopian tubes are going to be damaged and that increases the requirement to have ivf treatment which for um, for a vast majority of women but if not all women is a very intimidating thought um that the process is not going to be natural it's going to be very medicalized and embark on IVF IVF don't get me wrong is very successful and it's delivered about um, um, 7 million children in the world um, and adults over over the years so so absolutely um, I'm a big believer in it absolutely but um, but obviously every woman would prefer to conceive naturally absolutely um, IVF's not sexy let me tell you (laughs) yes exactly no it's not I think that's one thing about me described Um, so yes so so yes, so so that message um, may raise with a couple that oh perhaps we should um, decide to have a family earlier because of distortion of anatomy. But the major thing is that I want to get on to talk about is and that's where I'm concerned about multiple surgical interventions, multiple yeah. operations, particularly on the ovary, because the ovary um, o- the ovary has a finite number of eggs which are there before birth and before the woman's born, before she reaches puberty whether she's pregnant, whether she's on the pill, whether she's breastfeeding, she's losing eggs by the minute. And so, yeah, and they tend to run out in the late 40s, early 50s. But, and that's, for most women, that's absolutely fine. But you can imagine if a woman, unfortunately, is losing bits of her ovary, um, she's um, through some surgical intervention, that is negatively impacting on her egg number. So a woman who has unfortunately um, had in her late teens, early 20s, major surgical intervention because she needed it because she has severe pain and a big cyst on her ovary and endometrioma. She has unfortunately a compromised reproductive lifespan. And so early discussion with her doctor or a um, appropriately trained fertility doctor um, 
um, will be able to give them uh, the woman some sound advice because it may well be, you know, if you were talking in your discussions at 27, um, it may well be you reflected on that thinking, no, I actually want to pursue my career or actually no, um, I'm with Fred at the moment, but actually he is not a keeper. Um, um, he's, he's great fun, but he's not, he's not uh, father material. And, and so I don't, I don't want to embark on getting pregnant now. So what you may want to discuss then is freezing eggs. So um, the opportunity to freeze eggs now is a very viable opportunity, whereas perhaps 10, 15 years ago, it certainly wasn't. Freezing an egg in those days was tantamount to killing it. The freezing processes, unfortunately, despite the best intentions of all concerned, were not very optimal. Mm. Nowadays, the process of freezing eggs is highly effective. And so you at 27, you wouldn't have needed many eggs to preserve your fertility for a child. So, um, so often you know, when we catch that, we've got to think most couples are making a judgment here, but most couples man, man want more than one child. So that's, that's you know, we see that means you have to decode, increase the number of egg freezing cycles accordingly to your aspirations. But it offers a massive degree of reassurance. I've frozen my eggs, so I know I've got a time bomb ticking with my endometriosis. So I can go on and enjoy life, sort my career out and find the right Fred rather than just going with whoever's around. Yeah. And, um, and and I've got that security of that. So for a woman with a advanced endometriosis such as yourself, the ability to freeze eggs is a very viable option, very safe, um, and and it offers a huge degree of relief. Yes, exactly. It's not sexy having a cycle of ovarian stimulation, but a huge relief is is, is substantial. Mm. Now I call that reproductive insurance. That's that's not. This isn't. Some people call it social egg freezing. This isn't. This is different because because this is doing it for a medical imperative. This this is not social egg freezing. That may well be able to access Medicare a Medicare benefit for this process because the woman has an impending risk of becoming menopausal. And I have seen that and it's, and I can think of the women in my head now because it's very, I feel felt so sorry for them. They've had surgery with, for the best intentions, huge endometriomas, one on each ovary, mm. and, and then effectively being rendered menopausal afterwards. Oh, wow. because, because despite the, the skill of the surgeon trying to remove these huge endometriomas from the ovary, saving as much ovarian tissue as they could, there's very little of normal ovarian tissue. And so effectively, they were endomenopausal afterwards. The women I'm thinking about have had families with donated eggs. So they've been very, very happy. So it's a nice, happy ending. Yeah. But understandably, there was a dreadful period of a journey in the middle where, um, where they um, were obviously having to come to terms with that. So if they'd have frozen their eggs before that, and to be fair to them, that, that technique didn't exist then, then, then they may well have been saved from that. Now, Professor Hart, what is the process of egg freezing? Uh, I've mm. done IVF and I have got a couple of embryos on ice, as I like to Good. call them. Um, yes. But uh, what is the process? Uh, it may be slightly mm. different to an IVF yes. cycle. How does it work? Yes, yes. Well, I think you're absolutely right. It may be slightly different. It is slightly different, but it's very similar. But the ways it's slightly different, and I think in a huge way, it's often the woman feels very flat. You feel you a bit of a sort of a, you know, a damp sort of um, anticlimax-like feeling is because no woman embarks on IVF cycle, you say it's not really sexy, and says, oh, great, I've got to go and do that. But there's, there's an element of fear, element of anxiety about it, but there's also an element of, 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 of excitement mm. because I know I need this treatment. The doctor, I believe and trust my doctor, that this is the best treatment for me because of my endo or because Fred's sperm's poor. This is the way to have a baby. 
So I'm a bit anxious. I'm scared of the whole process, but I'm a bit excited because I'm going to have some embryos. And you say quite happily, you've got embryos on ice, which is fantastic. But, um, but the woman doing her egg freezing thinks I'm going to go through this process, um, take all these hormones, um, somebody's going to stick needles in my ovary, and I'll freeze some eggs, and I'll walk away and think, I might never use those, I might never need them, um, and I paid a lot of money. Um, so even though there's a, probably a Medicare benefit attached to it sometimes, then, um, then, then she's, she, so it's a different sentiment, whereas you have the excitement, how many embryos are growing, you talked about your embryos in the freezer and how exciting that is. So it, it, is, it is a bit different in terms of the emotional journey. So I think and, and, um, the fertility unit will often have a counsellor that the woman can speak to to yes. talk about that process. Um, so, yes, yeah, so what is the process? So it's, it's actually very similar to your IVF cycle. The doctor you'll see, um, and I'll encourage you to see, um, you know, a, a very experienced, trained fertility um, doctor. Um, there is a recognised training. There's a certificate of at the endocrinology and fertility. There's a recognised um, training in, in fertility. Um, CREI. Um, and so basically she has a discussion about what is the appropriate dose of treatment. Because if she's going to freeze eggs, she wants to, because it's going to be expensive potentially, she wants to maximize the chance. It's not to walk away and think, oh, I've got three eggs, brilliant. No, she wants to get as many as feasibly possible so she doesn't have to do it again. So she can just do one round of egg freezing, if you see what I mean. Um, so, so the doctor makes a judgment on her ovaries. And often, unfortunately, those ovaries aren't pretty, as I've discussed. Um, there may not be too many potential eggs from it. So she may require a high degree of stimulation. Her experience will be, Basically, if a woman's ovulating, she'll be aware of her normal hormonal flux during a normal menstrual cycle. So often her symptoms will be um, accentuated by a commensurate amount. So if she gets eight eggs, she'll feel the hormones go up perhaps eight times or 10 times. If it gets 10 eggs, do you see what I mean? So, it's, so the, the hormonal journey will be commensurate with how she's responding. Obviously, she needs to be monitored, so she'll have some blood tests. Um, during the cycle, and she'll have some internal scans to look at how her ovaries are developing. But effectively, she'll take about two weeks of drugs when she would normally ovulate. That's the normal time when she goes to theatre to have her eggs collated. So it replicates the first half of the menstrual cycle. So it's um, confronting because having lots of internal scans and being very much aware of your own reproductive capacity because you'll be it's there in front of you how your ovaries are responding. And the, the, the scanner may say, oh, heavens above, your ovaries aren't responding very well, or X, Y, and Z. So sometimes there can be some negativity that, that you infer from that journey, which is obviously potentially harmful um, to the individual. But hopefully it's a rewarding experience that she feels that she's frozen some eggs, and, um, and it's very, very um, exciting. So she'll go for two weeks of injection, so then she goes to have an egg collection. So the needle's put through the vagina into the ovaries, and these little follicles, these little cysts, little... Um, cysts that hopefully have an egg within them are drained out vaginally. And then before she goes off home, she'll hopefully be told we've frozen a certain number of mature eggs because not every egg is a, is a good one. Not every egg is mature. We can only freeze the mature ones because a mature one means it's lost half of its chromosomes because obviously we know when a sperm meets an egg, we only need to have half the chromosomes there to make an embryo because obviously an embryo is so unique genetic material. So, that, so the embryology staff will only freeze mature eggs. And then she goes off home. She feels like a really bad period-like pain. Hopefully the niece has done a good job and given some good pain relief. Um, and she goes off home and has a, has a good snooze. She'll need somebody to look after her because normally 
in IVF there's a partner around generally um, but um, but obviously a woman who's maybe freezing her eggs may not be living with anybody so she must either stay with a friend or have somebody uh, um, with her in case she runs into trouble afterwards but um, when she goes home she's have a good snooze she feels uncomfortable takes some good pain relief and and that's it um, whereas normally that's where that's why she may feel a bit flat hopefully she feels very happy she's frozen some eggs but whereas a woman doing IVF is forever getting some phone calls over the next few days from the lab staff as to how the embryos are going. Mm. So it is more exciting journey. And then, so assuming, um, assuming she's um, frozen her eggs and then five years later, dreadful surgery because things have really been terrible. She is now effectively got no ovary, no var- functional ovarian tissue left. She wants to use those eggs. So you can reassure her that these eggs are fantastic. They're as good as they were when she froze them when she was young. So if she uses them at 40 and she froze them at 30, they're fantastic eggs. Mm. Um, so what happens is they're thawed out. Whereas normally with IVF, what you do is you mix sperm and eggs together and you've got lots of sperm around each egg and you say, go for it guys, best, best sperm wins sort of thing. Mm-hmm. When the eggs have been frozen, they've got a very hard shell. So it's a bit like the sort of somebody knocking on a door and the sperm cannot get in. Um, what you have to do is you have to inject the sperm into the egg. And that's called ICSI treatment, which is often done in IVF when a man's sperm isn't very optimal. So despite how good his sperm is in the future, they'll have to do ICSI, inject the sperm in the egg. They watch them grow for several days and she will have her embryo transferred into the uterus. And she will have had the lining of the womb thickened up by some estrogen to make it, make it appropriate thickness for the embryo transfer. And if she froze her eggs before at 35 or under, she would have an excellent um, chance of getting pregnant with an embryo that has grown um, to that stage. So, uh, so that's the process of egg freezing. But as you probably gather when I said right at the start, it really depends perhaps on her age, but also how many follicles she's got in her ovary, how many eggs. Because unfortunately, as you probably wear, some women with endometriosis don't have many eggs. So that's, that's the journey of egg freezing. You know, it's a path well trodden by, by many women now. It's increasingly um, performed now in Australia. And, yeah. uh, um, and it offers a great degree of reassurance for the woman. I sort of say it, it is like a form of reinsurance. You hope you're never going to have to use it, but, but potentially you've got it there in reserve. So I often say to a woman, if you're going to freeze your eggs, I really would like to hope that we'll be able to get you pregnant with your first baby, either naturally or with IVF at that time. And those ones you've frozen are for subsequent babies, you know, your second baby, maybe your third, because what um, many women perhaps have in their families a bit later in the 30s that they're very fearful of is they get pregnant and, um, and they, they, they feel compelled to have their second baby earlier than they planned because they haven't got anything stored. You know, we've even had one lady rang from labor ward to say, I need my next IVF cycle. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? We, so, so, so to have something stored ahead of time, it, it takes that pressure off because you can enjoy the breastfeeding. You can enjoy the first two or three years of getting to know the baby without feeling compelled. Oh, my God, I'm getting older. The sword of Damocles is hanging above me. I must get on and do my next IVF cycle because you've frozen your eggs or you've frozen your embryos. So that pressure, it isn't upon you um, because we all know that unfortunately doing IVF in the 40s um, is, 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 is the success rates are, are very low. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a third of IVF cycles are women over 40 in Australia, 
But um, the, the, the success is substantially less than if they did that in the mid to late 30s. And I think the biggest yeah. thing that I took out of doing IVF is make sure you've got a good support network around you because it can feel so isolating and lonesome when you are doing this thing. And especially when you are injecting yourself with the hormones, whoa, the emotions are all over the shop. Um, yes, actually, you're, you're absolutely so, right. And yeah, really yeah. reaching out and, and taking advantage of the counsellors who you can utilise through the various fertility clinics. Yeah, absolutely. So no, you're absolutely right. It is very confronting. Um, in a man's, you know, testosterone level, you know, changes probably about 20, 30% during a day. But a woman's estrogen level over a course of a week and um, um, two weeks, a normal menstrual cycle um, can increase massively. So if you imagine that's accentuated by an IVF cycle, the hormonal flux is huge. So you rightly, rightly describe that that's what it feels like. Plus, there's all the anxiety that I've described and alluded to already mm -hmm. compounding that. Plus, for many women, the journey with the internal scans or whatever is very confronting as well. So you've got, you know, and the finances. So you've got all of these stresses, the emotion, the physical aspect, the financial aspect, um, and the hormonal aspect, all of these things. It's, um, it is, I, I wouldn't work well in sales, would I really, mm -hmm. actually? Um, so, yeah, it's... it's so, uh, you know, these, 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 you're absolutely right. It is a very, very confronting journey. But, um, but most units are, have a very good supportive network with mm. their nursing staff, their counselling staff, and absolutely reaching out to friends and colleagues is, is very, very important. Because, believe you me, you are not the only woman in your network that's doing IVF. I mean, one in 25 children um, in Australia are born from IVF. One in seven if the woman is 37 or older. So, so even if you don't know it, there's somebody around you doing IVF. So, um, so yes, so, so just, just be aware that um, the people around you are doing that and, um, and reach out and, and support them. Mm. Um, some people are very personal, private and want to, don't want to share um, and they want to keep everything close to themselves. Um, but, um, but a lot of women like yourself do gain from um, supportive networks around you and because we're all fearful of the unknown. Um, mm -hmm. A very common sentiment <laughs> is a woman going through the second round and say, oh, I'm, I'm happy for you to push me a little bit harder if whatever. It wasn't as bad as I thought. That's, that's a very common sentiment. And most of us in life generally say that mm -hmm. because it's more the fear of the unknown. Um, is, is up with, you know, we're, we're inherently conservative individuals and we're always a bit fearful of the unknown. So, yes, it's not, it's not as bad as I say, absolutely. No. And it makes, brings great joy to countless thousands of women. And it wasn't for IVF. Um, you know, the you know we we our population would be, would be shrinking. There's so many there's so many um, families that have been so blessed with uh, with having their families through IVF. So so absolutely, it's a very positive journey. Mm. But during it, from for some women, it is very confronting. So reach out to that supportive network. I completely agree. Now, when it comes to the internet and egg freezing, there's a gold mine of information out there. Where mm. is the most reliable source to get? the facts and oh. to start that conversation going is the best thing to do to, to speak to um, your gynecologist or a specialist and, and yes. get the ball rolling that way? Yes. Well, I think firstly to have a chat with general practitioner because obviously general practitioners have a um, generally have an insight into uh, your, your longer term health trajectory and maybe I'll just sort of say, well, hang on, you, you know, um, I, I'm a bit worried about things. You're perhaps, um, you know, your age is maybe an issue, your, your, your history in terms of endometriosis may be an issue. So the general practitioner is often the, you know, the, the, the good sounding board um, on our life journey for our health. So, so I encourage um, all men and women, but men are dreadful at going to see the GP, um, um, so to, 
absolutely shockers. The woman has to drag them screaming and kicking along. Oh, and they should do. Yeah. So true. And, yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's not fair on the woman having to talk to the bloke. Well, the doctor said you need to do this. So it's very, very unfair. The, woman, the bloke should come along and the doctor can speak to them directly. Because none of us, none, absolutely none of us can put a hand up and say we are ideal in terms of what we do. We can all improve something. We can all either lose some weight, do a bit more exercise, talking about blokes here, um, 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 take a multivitamin, look at our diet, look at our drinking. There's no bloke that can put a hand up and say, I am um, the ideal reproductive specimen. We could all do something better. So, um, so yes, so please drag the partner along so the GP doesn't have to give the message through you because you're always the bad person if you have a woman has to say, the doctor said you must do this. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so, so absolutely, absolutely, you must, um, must take the, the partner along um, for, for that journey because the GP is the advocate for the couple. And then if the, G, and if the woman says, no, actually, I really want to talk about this, what well, I encourage you to go to the CS specialist and um, the, um, as I said, um, a, a sign of um, um, a doctor that's completed a fertility training program is the Certificate in Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility, CRPI. And there are many doctors throughout Australia with that qualification. Um, but there are also very experienced other other doctors who haven't completed that program. Um, so um, speak to your GP, but um, do, your, do your own research as to who to talk to. So there are lots of information out there on the internet, but I always say everybody is an individual and you can't give blanket information to everybody. So I certainly view patients as, as an individual and you've got to look for the nuances about everybody. As I say, we can all do something better to improve our chances. And for some women, that means actually not doing as much exercise because there's this sort of rumor going around, you've got to be fit for pregnancy. For some women, that means you've got to be super fit for pregnancy. For some women, it means putting a little bit of weight on and doing less exercise, that sort of thing. So everybody's journey is nuanced. And so I, I, I encourage a woman to see an expert to get the best advice about egg freezing. Professor Roger Hart, a fascinating insight into fertility and endometriosis. The big learnings from this, knowledge is power and that you are in control of your reproductive insurance and to start that conversation with your GP because, well, I've learnt so much in this. Absolutely. No problem at all. Cheers. And if you would like to learn more when it comes to fertility, endometriosis, IVF, egg freezing, the place to go to endometriosisaustralia.org. As Professor Roger Hart said, knowledge is power. You're in charge of your reproductive insurance. Make sure you check out the website and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Living with Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis. Looking forward to bringing you the very next episode. Stay safe and chat to you soon. <laughs>